Today we are talking with Joe Franco Wheeler, Director of Organisational Development and Diversity at Inmarsat. Welcome everyone to our 41st in our series of podcasts brought to you by Good Thinking, London's digital mental wellbeing service, providing round-the-clock mental wellbeing support for those living or working in London. This is Sonia Etetwani, and in this podcast we catch up with Joe, who shares many tips that helped how Inmarsat grew and developed even before COVID. It's a near-continuous process of listening to employees about how we work that proved to be the key of innovation and successful transformation leading to practical changes. As many businesses are trying to work out what good hybrid working looks like, we learn from organisations such as Imarsat, a successful, thriving UK business. Over to you, Richard and Joe. Thank you, Sonia, and thank you, Joe, for giving us your time today. You're welcome. Today we're going to be thinking about the impact of COVID upon businesses, and we're really pleased to be talking with you, Joe, about Inmarsat. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about Inmarsat and the type of organisation it is. Yes, absolutely. So um, one of my friends described Inmarsat as the coolest company you've never heard of, <laughs> which I which I really, really like. Um, yeah. uh, and if you'd worked in a specific area, maybe in uh, shipping or in communications, you may well have heard of us. But we are a British company and we operate satellites in orbit that provide communication. So essentially, wherever there is no network or terrestrial networks are not sufficiently reliable, we support. So we were started to provide the Mayday shipping signal 41 years ago. And then we're the commercial arm that grew out of that. So yeah, it's literally rocket science. It's a space company, UK headquartered, and it's, it's a shame more people haven't heard of us it's very exciting business well i hope we can change that a bit because it's really great to be hearing about innovation coming from the uk at this time and i i guess from your description you're you're a large growing company yes we've got just under two thousand people globally and those satellites are, are providing communication across all sorts of areas as you say shipping but i guess also in areas of the world that where there are disasters or or, or sadly might even be a war torn is in marsat sort of supporting yes we do we work with um telecoms sans frontières and provide support there we do a lot of pro bono work to support humanitarian causes we also provide um the mayday signal still that's something that's really important to us and we've got other safety services that we support so yes very much global organization supporting a variety of people from governments to private companies to the growth of in-flight Wi-Fi. That's um, the kind of business that we're in. Right. Well, that that, that may have engaged a lot of people who feel frustrated about the loss of connection during flights. One of the things that would be really interesting for us to think about then is how you as an organisation, as a business, were thinking about work, the nature of work, before the pandemic struck. Because lots of us made all sorts of rapid changes then. But were you as a company already, given the sort of technological infrastructure, I guess, to the business, thinking about new ways of working before COVID? Yes, we've been really consciously shaping our culture since about 2017. And we had a new global chief people officer and she came in with lots of ideas about the things that she wanted to look at. And that's also when I when I joined the business in 2017. And we were conscious that as an organisation, we'd grown quite quickly through acquisition and we hadn't fully integrated all the different organisations that we'd bought. And we'd acquired offices in you know Newfoundland in Canada, in Olesund in Norway. And actually what we didn't have was a unifying, this is the way that we work together. And when you go from a business where it's you know around 300 people all based in the same London office to a global business, if you want to have the opportunity to operate at the top of your game, then really thinking consciously about how you want to work together. 
together is really important. So we started a programme to actually look at defining and shaping the culture that we wanted to build. And essentially, the outcome of that was a shared understanding of the culture that we have in the organisation and also um, a, a sort of shortcut for the way that we talk to each other about the way that we work together. So that improvement to conversations really, really helped us in terms of working across boundaries. And what that's meant is any other change that we want to do, we're building on top of a really strong culture foundation. So that's why that's really important. We'd also um, started to think about how we wanted to work as an organisation, which we're incredibly grateful for when the pandemic struck. So we'd been thinking about increasing our flexibility and the way that we work in the offices for, for quite some time. And actually in, in 2019, in September, we changed it from September into Flextember and ran a flexible working campaign that was all about improving and creating a consistency for the way that we don't all have to work in the office all of the time. So we'd, we'd you know, we'd got the kind of classic flexible working policies and guidelines that most companies will have. But I think what you'll find is most companies' policy fundamentally says you can work flexibly or you can work at home if your manager says you can. And then it's applied reasonably and consistently. So we wanted to be really quite punchy and actually say to our managers, you know, we trust our people. We treat them like grown-ups. Work is an activity. It's not a destination for most of our roles. So actually, please support them in working flexibly and, you know, let's get that behaviour change happening. And we'd also done all of the associated preparation behind the scenes that's required to make that possible. So our fantastic IT department had, you know, expanded the capability to work securely on our network from any location, et cetera, et cetera. We'd invested in that. So actually, when the pandemic struck, what it was, was an accelerator for what we were trying to do rather than a completely new way of working. We had a small number of, of on-site required roles, like facilities and ground station support but the majority of our people we were able to just go instantly offline and work from home because we'd got the setup to do so. That's really interesting because I think we often think in health about how influential habits are in terms of shaping how healthy or not we are and I guess when it comes to the workplace as well we kind of get used to working in a particular way but going back to September or Flextember, as you say, in 2019, you were already trying to sort of challenge those habits and actually rethink what work was as an activity, as you say, rather than a destination, a place to be. How difficult was that? Because changing habits, developing new habits is is sometimes quite hard work. I mean, did it feel that way? Did or, or were in this culture that you'd established, everyone sort of joining in with trying to build a habit of work? So it was really inconsistent. And one thing that we found is, I think with anything cultural, everybody is not mentally at the same place. So you, so what you're trying to get is critical mass to drive that change. So we'd got areas of the organisation that had worked like that for years. I mean, um, I'd already only worked in the office two to three days a week because I live in Derbyshire, the office is in London. That was part of my agreement when I joined in Marsat and that was you know nobody questioned that that was that was normal enough so there were teams within the organization that already worked really flexibly but there were other teams where everybody came in every day Monday to Friday and um, you know usually before nine and left after five and that was the norm 
So I think what was important was to understand the reasons for that and tackle it in a number of different ways. So it was like an election campaign. It was it was a communication behaviour change campaign to establish um, the new way we wanted to work. So, for example, we did quite a lot of work with the executive team. And, you know, we had and we have a really supportive and progressive CEO. We've had a change of CEO, but both of them are. And the one we had at the time was always really willing to put time on the agenda to talk about things like this. So, you know, I was able to go to the exec meetings and talk through the way we wanted to work in the future and actually have an open conversation with the executive team about their objections to that. And I actually remember dropping them an email that said, you know, we're doing this Flextember campaign. I keep hearing insert exec member here, name doesn't support it. So we won't be doing it in our area. Can you tell me if that's true and what your concerns are? And so let's talk about them and address them. And, you know, they did come back to me and say, actually, I prefer if people don't. We've got quite a junior team or it's not something I'm comfortable with and then we could work through those objections and actually you know make sure that the message from the top down was really clear we support this so that was one way that kind of top down message and then also it was you know making sure that we've got the tools and I've talked about the IT you know making sure we've actually got the physical capability to do so and then the mindset change was mainly I think around line managers so getting them to understand that it isn't fully within your autonomy to go yeah I see what you're doing at a corporate level but I prefer it when I can see all of my team and actually saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you prefer it. That's not how we want to work as an organization. And that's not the kind of culture that we want to create. And also selling the benefits. We were able to demonstrate quite quickly that in teams where we measure productivity, the productivity was higher when they worked um, remotely, fully remotely. So quite quickly in March, we got data that our teams where we, as I've said, not, you know, not every single team. I work in HR. There's no measure of my productivity on a day-to-day basis. But we'd got other teams where it was, you know, volume of calls handled or queries completed or invoices processed and all of those areas where it was measurable, the performance was higher when people worked remotely. So we were able to really sort of demonstrate the value um, and it was a hearts and minds, but also a data driven exercise. And and were you finding that the employees themselves were showing greater well-being through these initiatives? So um, I don't think we were able to really assess the well-being benefits of people working from home through the campaign we did in Flextember, but we certainly uh-huh. were very conscious of it after that. The, the anecdotal feedback from employees was that they felt more appreciated, they felt more trusted, they felt more empowered. Our We have an employee engagement survey that we do periodically mm. and our scores, you know, going into the pandemic were, you know, were really high and remained high throughout the pandemic. And, you know, we measure things like the extent to which they feel trusted and cared about as individuals. And that's always, you know, that's always scored consistently high. And what comes across very clearly is there was a great deal of communication between yourselves, as you say, in the executive and, and managers where there might have been concerns or objections. And actually engaging with those challenges did seem to, from the sounds of things, facilitate this sort of trend to then being in a place when COVID struck where I guess you were well equipped and um, kind of ready for much greater remote working. Absolutely, because we'd already created the habit of talking about how we work. So we were able to be really quick about how we did that. And in Marsat's values really, really came through in the way that we behaved and treated our staff. So we actually closed our offices before the mandated lockdown in London. We we were monitoring the um, rise of COVID and saying, actually, we want to keep our people safe as much as possible. 
So let's, you know, let them know we want them to be at home where they can be. And then we created a, um, a protocol for the people who had to be on site that's actually still in place now. You know, they're split into two different shifts so that they don't ever come into contact. They have a specific lift that they use that no one else uses. You know, we, we really keep them isolated from everybody else and safe as much as possible. So that kind of really values driven, we can take care of our people was the start of it. But then the fact that we were able to immediately take everybody offline and say, right, everybody works from home now. And then what we did was we got together all the relevant teams that would be involved in this, so internal communications, health and safety, and two different things happened. So first of all, we formed a COVID risk management group that was chaired by um, our head of cybersecurity. And that met three times a week to, you know, monitor the intelligence that was coming in and make, you know, specific rules about how we would work. And that was a global, you know, representation from HR, from facilities, from buildings, from cybersecurity, etc. To really kind of monitor and say, let's look at government guidance and make decisions about what we're going to do. And then there was the other side of it that I was involved in, which which was, um, you know, working with internal communications and other parts of HR and saying, actually, how are we best going to support our people? And what we did from the start was... Um, said, you know, based on the culture that we've got, how do we feel like it's the right way to handle this? And what we did was we started by listening to what people wanted. So we did a number of one-question surveys where we, you know, wrote out to people and sort of, you know, told, gave them an update on what was happening with COVID and then asked them, you know, how can we best support you? And we listened to what they were looking for and what they were wanting. And in response to that, we launched a brand new communications channel, a ways of working and well-being newsletter that went out every Friday. It still goes still going actually it's now every other week but that was all about resources to help people for the situation they were in right now which varied from you know public health information to homeschooling resources to stories about how people around the world um, who worked for in Marsat were managing their mental health and looking after themselves and exercising and and so on and, and and that was a real way to share people's stories and what we were learning from what we were experiencing and it went down so well it was intended to be a temporary thing but as I've said it's still running now it's gone to fortnightly but it's really really popular and the open rate on that communication is really high yes that sounds like a crucial sort of development then of this shift to remote working to increase that sort of engagement through different communications activities and what sounds really important to us in, in mental health is a, a key aspect of that was listening actually it it really was because, um, and throughout, we've always listened to our people. So, as I've said, you know, simple one question surveys. And then actually in the summer, I think it was around July, July, August 2020, we did a specific ways of working survey where we asked people about, you know, how they felt about the support they needed now. But also we wanted to start planning for our return to the office. So to understand, you know, actually what about this situation would you want to keep when we come back or what, you know, what are you worried about? What support do you feel like you need? And as a result of that survey, it was very much about, you know, what do you need now? And let's also think about the future. A few things that we identified, we were able to act on straight away. So one of them was that people were really struggling with the volume of meetings. Meetings is really interesting when you think about a culture of an organisation the culture shows up in meetings. That's where it's most prevalent is where you get together. So the meetings culture of your organisation says a lot about, you know, how things are around here. And what people were telling us is that since nobody was travelling and everybody was available, the number of meetings had absolutely gone through the roof. And that was compounded by the fact that every two minute conversation that might have happened because you bumped into somebody in the office now became a meeting put in the diary because there's no bumping into anybody. So they felt like they were drowning. Some of them were felt like they couldn't leave their laptop 
and their camera was on all day. So we did a real focus on meetings culture and behaviour and, and some practical support and we introduced a few different initiatives. So first of all, we delivered some training called Kill Bad Meetings, <laughs> which is about improving the quality of um I meetings. think I'll sign up to that now, Jim. <laughs> I know it's a great title, isn't it? It's like we worked <laughs> with an external company, um, but yeah, it's a great, a great title. And that was all about, you know, if there's no agenda and no actions, it's not a meeting. Why are you wasting your time? But also about making it normal to say within a meeting, I'm going to drop off now because... The, the bit that I came for happened, thank you and goodbye, and it not being a negative thing. Or also for somebody to say to your boss in a meeting, um, do, do you want to drop off now because I'll pick up that action and you don't need to be here. So that was, went down really well. The other thing that we did was we introduced some meeting archetypes so that in the um, subject line of a meeting, when you're inviting somebody, you could put that it's a walking meeting, which means no screen, nothing's going to be shared. You can just dial in and plug in on your phone and you can either, you know, move around the house and unload the dishwasher and change your beds if you want or get out and go for a walk. Um, and it's, you know, more informal. We'll understand there might be the odd background noise, etc. And in fact, I still, my one-to-one with my boss, that's always a walking meeting. We both get out and go for a walk. She's used to me having to mute the microphone and shout at the dog every now and again. Um, <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, a normal way to get out. And I try and have a walking meeting most days, actually. So I'm at least getting away from the desk or at least specifying, you know, this one doesn't need your camera on because that had become the default that cameras are always yeah, on. Yeah. And quite early in COVID, we were talking to a digital wellbeing specialist, Tanya Gooding, about the sort of implicit surveillance of always being watched and, and even watching yourself that itself was part of that sort of Zoom exhaustion that we all started to experience. Really nice development to actually have different types of meeting where you can be more informal and be moving about and in fact I think a lot of people can talk more freely when they are engaged in a sort of additional activity rather than sitting still in front of a webcam. Mm. I think it works really well for one-to-one conversations or walking meetings. Yeah so lots of imaginative and innovative developments as well but through the process of listening always sort of in tune with where your employees are and what their experience uh, is and and I, I really like that phrase you have of how we work often in mental health we, we're talking about supporting well-being in the workplace uh, as if the only way to achieve that is about talking about mental health but actually how we live and and also how we work are so fundamental to that that that's a really nice phrase for other organizations other businesses to embrace when they're looking at developing as a company or or responding to whatever else um covid or uh, the future brings to the door so lots and lots of positives there i was just wondering though some of the challenges that we hear about through remote working do relate also to the personal lives that people have. And I don't know whether that was also an aspect that you had to engage with. So, for example, it's been said that younger employees may not be in the sort of living situations where it's quite so easy to to work remotely. Some people may be more on their own and, and issues of loneliness and isolation become a challenge. Were those factors as well in, in the sort of developments at Inmarsat? Absolutely they were. So what was very clear at the outset when we were thinking about, you know, what we were going to need to do to support our people through the pandemic, we dug out and refreshed our wellbeing strategy. And our wellbeing strategy is across four elements. So it's it's physical, 
health, mental health, but also financial health and social health. Um, and the social aspect was really interesting. And we did sort of, it became very clear straight away that if you had somebody in your team who lived alone, potentially you you automatically had become a significant part of their support network if they were um, isolated. And, you know, obviously everybody didn't have the same needs. Some people very self-sufficient and fine. Some people really struggling with that. But one of the things that we talked about and communicated to our managers about were, you know, you're part of the support network now. You need to be aware of that. And here's some resources that can help them. Here's some things to look out for. Here's some things that could help you to help them. Um, and that was very clear. Um, we also, um, a lot of teams started to miss that social interaction and actually spontaneously started to, to do things like, you know, get together for a virtual drink on a Friday or a Thursday night or lots of quizzes. We had all the quizzes. I think everybody <laughs> went through the quiz phase, didn't they? Quiz with friends and family, yeah. quiz with uh, work colleagues. Um, so there was a lot of that happening. And then we actually, we launched a chat roulette that we did for a while where you could sign up and then you'd be put in a chat with four or five people across the organization because people were missing their spontaneous conversations. So we did, yeah, lots to sort of look about how we can connect people socially and virtual um, team building as well. So we had, you know, um, quite a lot of all of our, you know, learning and development material, everything went virtual. We had virtual induction for the first time and that went really, really well. But we also um, had sort of virtual team building days where, um, you know, we had various different activities that people could take part in and, and you know, use the technology to make it interactive and so on. Um, because that social connection was clearly very important to people. The other thing I'd just like to, to flag, it's, a, it's part of a, a, a digest we provided at Good Thinking following the Wellcome Trust's um, review of all the things that uh, help employees support the mental health of employees. And one of them was in relation to greater financial support. And, and I really also want to just sort of note that actually in thinking about well-being, you were thinking about financial health, which again was very different across the board, wasn't it, with COVID, different people very different situations. So a really comprehensive approach to um, well-being from the physical through to social, financial, uh, and then, of course, the psychological. So, yes, it sounds, again, like a, a really well-thought-through, supportive approach to to keep everybody, because um, I, I guess in Marset was also going to be in demand during COVID with all that was happening around the world. So you needed really to be functioning well as a, as a business, not just uh, for your employees. Yes, and that's the thing, you know, there was a lot of social media and um, about, you know, what are you doing in lockdown? Have you learned a new language, started baking your own yeah. bread? And I thought, I'm working 16-hour days. What are you yeah, talking yeah. about? You know, and a lot of our people were working really hard and we had an increased volume of work due to COVID. So, yeah, you know, we uh, it was the assumption that everybody was at home and, and not working in some sort of media was quite frustrating. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really important, isn't it? So actually, what you were able to do for your employees' morale was also key to the success of, of the business through COVID. And I guess going back to your culture, your values, that all sounds as if, you know, um, that was supportive of everyone staying on task in, in that extraordinary time. And I think as well, it's really important for us to be really transparent and honest about challenges that we face. So, you know, there were a small number of um, areas that, that we had to make some redundancies. And, you know, it's important to us in line with our values and our culture that we also treat people who are leaving us in the best way possible. So we developed a, ra a wrapper of care around 
how that departing employees are treated. So we offered them ongoing access to our online learning. We couldn't let them keep their own laptops for for security purposes, but we gave them a voucher to buy one because we know you need a laptop to search for a job. They were able to keep their phones. We offered them a lever buddy who could help. We offered them online coaching and how to virtual presence for um, interview skills, etc. You know, it's, it's really important that that kind of values permeates through whatever it is that we're doing. What comes across as uh, enormous culture of respect, really, for wherever you are in the organisation, drove so much of what you were doing. Given what sounds like, if one dare say such a thing, a successful pandemic for Inmarsat, it sounds like so much positive change was achieved. You've also mentioned returning to the office, and we are now hopefully in this last phase of, of, of the pandemic where we're looking at returning to something similar to the life we had before. Where are you as an organisation at in terms of thinking then about returning to the office and the language of hybrid working, I guess? Because, it, 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 you know, why would you need to, I guess some might ask. Yeah, so we, the approach we took to this was when we did the survey last summer and talked about, you know, how do you want to work in the future? We, we took our own people's views into account and, you know, we read all of the, there were so many articles about how it's going to be in the future and the new normal. And I think what became clear very early on when we attended external events, myself and my colleagues with other people from other organisations is there were some organisations that were saying, you know, how are we going to get back to normal and as soon as possible? And there were other organisations saying, how are we going to use this to shape how we want to work in the future? future. And we were very much the latter. You know, as I've said, we were already trying to be more flexible. So so the way that we approached this was we have actually identified different patterns for the way people will work to make it, I guess, formal. Because what we're aware is if you just sort of left it and didn't be specific, you'd end up with an inconsistency. So some people would say it's working, you can all keep completely remote. And other teams would say, you know, I've missed being in the office, I want to be back in and I want my team back in. So actually, everybody's been classified as either a home worker, um, a permanent office worker or a flexible worker. And the majority are that middle category flexible worker. So what we've done is we've actually said, you know, what do we need to come into the office for? And how do we want to work when we are in the office? So there will be no big everybody back to the office for us. That's not how it will work. Some of our offices have opened and in fact closed again in, say, Sydney, because obviously the global organisation. Our London office has been available for people who really need to work there for as, as long as we've been able f- for it to be. So you mentioned people who you know, live in a shared house and they're kind of, you know, or, or at home with young children that are very noisy who were saying, please, can I come in? You know, we've, we've accommodated that. But what we've done is we've changed the way that the office will work. So, you know, we'd, we're not expecting people to go into the office office to sit at a desk and work alone. What we're really very much publicising is the purpose of being in the office for the majority of us is to collaborate. So it's all about more collaboration spaces, more informal collaboration meeting rooms, you know, making sure we've got the places where they can sit and have a coffee. Um, But we're not expecting people to say, I will come in and sit at my one desk unless that's their preference, in which case we will accommodate it. So for us, back to the office means, you know, depending on your job, um, how often you need to be there will vary hugely. Um, But most people, we think it's four times a month, we think that they'll be in the office Mm -hmm. and everybody can work at home two days a week. So you've got a basic formula there that I I guess is also through your sort of ongoing listening 
processes will be tweaked as we're all emerging from this. But I think, as we've heard before, actually understanding that the value of the office as a, as a collaboration space might help a lot of companies shape the future of their, their organisations better. Absolutely. And what we want is, you know, we're building towards our office being a destination people want to go to because there's value for them in going there. So not a kind of you must go there, but actually you have a desire to go there because it's a good place to meet, to network, to we recognise the value of physical collaboration um, for things like innovation, for getting to know people. So my expectation for myself personally is I will be in the office to meet with my colleagues, to, to workshop, to take part in activities. But what we're making sure that we do as a global company headquartered out of London before the pandemic our people told us it felt like there was a two-tier system you know you were either in London and that was tier one or you were the rest of the world and that was that was lower status and that's how it felt for them and we removed all of that through the pandemic by everything being virtual and everybody being on the same level and we want to make sure we keep that so the guidance from us will definitely be if everybody can't physically be there make it a remote meeting Let's have everybody treated the same. Let's be um, mindful of that. And things like our all staff meetings and our town hall meetings, we've already made the decision that they will stay remote because it works really well. Everybody feels equally engaged. So there's some of these benefits that we've got to make sure we keep. Another thing that's really going to shape the way we work in the future is I mentioned the meetings, people feeling overwhelmed. We trialed no meetings Friday in February 2021 and after the trial we again did a short survey do you want to keep it do you not what you know what would make it work better and 87% of the respondents told us they wanted to keep it so we now have no meetings on a Friday and actually that's a stepping stone towards moving to a nine-day fortnight so that's something that we'll be rolling out probably towards the beginning of next year because there's a lot of operational considerations to think about everybody will take every other Friday off and that gives you know people that space to think and space to recover and, and that's something that we're, we're will really shape how we work as an organization well as, as you indicated earlier when you've been working 16 hour days during covid um there is a need for a uh, a refresh and space to sort of process and, and unwind from all of that intensity. And if you're, th I guess, again, thinking about productivity in a different way, then it isn't just about sitting at a desk in an office. You can look at different outputs, different ways of measuring that productivity. And, and when people do have proper time off, they do work better. So, mm. and, and that's the thing. Other companies have done studies on this and we've seen, you know, the evidence is that productivity increases when people work a four-day week. You know, we're not quite going to that, but um, the evidence again is there that it's a, it's a boost for productivity. People work a compressed hours week. You know, they work slightly longer days than Monday to Thursday and then take the Friday. And obviously there's some challenges around it. You know, some of our roles where they're on shift patterns and things, it's, it's not going to work for everybody and we're going to have to manage that really sensitively. Yeah. But that's, that's the intention. Just one last thought, which it strikes me, um, and it feels odd sort of coming from the mental health space in terms of saying this, but over the last four years, I guess, from 2017 to, to now, as a company business, you've learned a great deal about how to work in the 21st century, where technology can help us work differently from those roots of, of working patterns that perhaps are still based on the first industrial revolution. Do you think there is an opportunity for Inmarsat to be sharing the understanding and to be supportive of other businesses? Um, it feels like a, a big ask, but there's so much wisdom, I think, in what you're sharing, Joe, about how you can work and, and what really 
does make a positive difference. Is that something in Marsat are, are able to, to offer or, or engage with? Yeah, so I think myself and my colleagues are generally inquisitive about the way that organisations operate. So we all attend external networking events or conferences and, or you know, I occasionally speak at conferences about different things that we're doing. And the good thing about the ways of working, the culture, the diversity and inclusion, all of that kind of work is that's not our competitive advantage. You know, so we're really happy to share it. Um, yeah, and I've and I also I have a you know a network of colleagues who of people who do a similar role to me in other organisations, and we do talk, and it's it's great because you know there's nothing that stops us from sharing what we're doing in those spaces because it's not something we're competing on. Um, and I almost think that community of people who want to shape the future of work automatically do that. So we're by no means market leading on, on the things that we're doing, and I think it's the fact that we're not a huge organisation means we're actually able to be pretty agile and do them quite quickly. But so, yeah, there's lots we can share, but also lots we can learn from other organisations. I think that's a really important part of mine, but also the rest of the HR leadership team's roles to be externally facing and to think about, you know, learning about what's working well and sharing what we're doing. Yeah, that sounds a really, really lovely development to have this community of, of businesses that are able to listen to each other, learn and share, uh, whilst also, as you say, keeping that sort of uh, advantage in terms of the, the specific skills that in, and knowledge that Inmarsat would have developed over the years too. I think what's really interesting as well, though, is what we're going to see now is almost an increasing gap between different types of organisations in terms of the way they look at this type of thing. So we've already seen, you know, some of the um, tech companies have said, you know, anybody can work from anywhere, as in globally, any country. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I, they must have a very huge payroll and t- tax department dealing with that. We wouldn't be able to support that because it's the, of yeah, the logistics. Yeah. But we've also had, you know, at Google, I think, and Facebook saying nobody has to come to the office ever. And then we've had some big investment banks saying we'll all be back in the office. And I think what's interesting about that is people will vote with their feet. You know, they will choose an organisation and a culture that matches their own values. You know, I think previously the values of an organisation would be what you find on the website that they say their values are. Now with social media, you know, we have the ability to actually look, what did this company say about Black Lives Matter? What did they do to celebrate International Women's Day? You know, how are they um, how are they engaging with um, Pride Month? Um, they, they, they don't just get to tell us what their values are. We get to observe what they're doing. And also things like flexible working, that's a real significant driver for some people. You know, I would hesitate to work for a company that expected me to be in the office five days a week not just because I don't want to be in the office five days a week, but because of what that tells me about their level of trust and the way that they support their people. The exception would be if they wanted to hire me to change that culture, obviously. But I think, um, you know, people will start to think, actually, that's not how I want to work. That's not the kind of organisation I want to work for. This is this is aligned to my values. So, you know, there's going to be much more conversation about how we work and not just what the contents of the job is and what the salary is. And again, you bring up that really important phrase, how we work. So much in there. Well, thank you, Joe. It's been an absolute privilege to hear of the work you've undertaken at Inmarsat. Wonderful to think of a, a UK company having such a, an important role in the world at the moment with all the need for satellite communication to underpin the way we even learn about what's happening around the world, uh, as well as support those um, who may be struggling at sea or with disasters. Yeah, so I'll be really interested in seeing how your organisation develops alongside others. 
But unfortunately, we're at that point of the podcast uh, where we are sadly going to have to, to shortly say goodbye to you, at least for now. And tragically, perhaps, given that we are, <laughs> it would appear, emerging from the pandemic, We've tended to end the podcast by posing a, a few questions to you to help the listeners get to know you a little better, which is to to throw you back into lockdown, which which feels increasingly harsh, and we we might need ourselves to to rethink. But if we were in that situation earlier in the year, where we had to go back into lockdown again, and you would have the opportunity to take with you into that lockdown space three uh, famous or, or prominent individuals. Who would you take, given all that you've been sort of thinking about and, and learning about during COVID? So this is a really difficult question, and I've, I've had a long <laughs> list, and I've been working on this. Um, so uh, I've, I've three people who I, I just think would be really entertaining. I've gone for people who I think are raconteurs, storytellers, who would who would keep the conversation flowing. So the first one is Hugh Laurie. Okay. who I think would be, and he also plays the piano and sings, which I think would be great. Um, and lots of stories I'm sure he's got of his life in the UK and, and in LA. So I, I think he'd be fantastic. The next one is Sandy Toxvig, who I find uh -huh. absolutely hilarious and endlessly entertaining. And also he's got a real passion for change, you know, starting a political party, etc. It's a really interesting lady. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is Maya Angelou, who I could listen to all day long and I think again has wonderful stories to tell and I, I could happily go to sleep every evening listening to her reading her poetry. So that's some quite shrewd thinking there of, of some well hugely intelligent but also people with really substantial values I think that you've chosen and talking about their own experiences. I think the theme of listening is is very strong with with you and mm. learning as well, I guess. So that sounds like a very thoughtful selection of, of individuals. I was a bit worried about, do you like the music that Hugh Laurie plays? Well, he's quite flat. He's, yeah, he's sort of blues, isn't he? Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, th I, 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 <laughs> I think it'd be great. I mean, it could go on for months. It could, it could. <laughs> well, I'll set Sandy on him if he's um, if he's not playing what we want. She's a tenacious lady. Uh, you could also have a, a go off into a quiet corner with Maya Angelou, who uh, probably would give you respite too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, a good range of people to have there with you. We allow you to also take some media, and I say media because in the first periods of quarantine, pretty much the only thing that didn't survive, sorry, that did survive, I should say, would be a tablet or a smartphone whenever all else was incinerated. Is there a piece of music, a book, film, TV show, even a recorded event that would sustain you during a lockdown space? Yes. So I would take the box set of The West Wing. Okay. Have you ever seen it? I have, but there's a lot of fast talking, I found. I like it. It's uh, it's written by Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> and I love the fast dialogue, and I love the, uh, the humour and the banter between the characters, and I've watched it twice. It's the only box set I've ever watched twice, and I would happily watch it again and again. Yeah, well, I think it is genuinely thought of as a classic and I guess probably close to the bone enough to be almost documentary in, in parts too. So I bet if you watch that again, you'd probably see future references embedded in the in the script or what later came to pass. So, Absolutely. Yeah, okay, uh, a smart choice and a luxury. After all those 16-hour days, I think you deserve some luxury. So my luxury would be Rington's Tea, 
and there's a reason for this. So my 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 mother passed away seven years ago, sadly, and okay. was an, a, an addict of Rington's tea. And one of the th- ways in which we remember her is whenever we visit friends and family, we take a bag of tea bags with us. And it's a sort of way we remember my mum because everybody would have come to our house for cups of tea. So it's a sort of sentimental, but also essential sustenance for me. The first thing I do, I have a, have a cold cup of Rington's tea next to me right now. That is a, such a good example of the importance of really listening because when you mentioned tea at the beginning I thought that's not luxury that's sort of staple <laughs> uh, food um, that would just be there but then when you talk about the passing of your mother and, and how bringing the tea has such a different meaning to just a cup of tea it's connecting you with all sorts of things from you know, your, your mother to family and, and beyond so Okay, I still think it's a little bit low budget, but I guess the value is in the the feelings rather than just the uh, the cost. Well, thank you again, Joe. I think that those choices are so emblematic, I think, of the values that you seem to bring to your work and what you've brought to Inmarsat with your colleagues and, and how I think many of us can learn a great deal from that. And all of it is underpinning good mental health, good well-being. So thank you for sharing all of that. We hope we might be able to catch up with you at some later point as this uncertain future continues to unfold. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. 